0: Welcome to All Saints Community Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. Our desire for you as you listen is to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit as we read the scriptures and to mobilize to actively bring God's kingdom to the earth. For more information on who we are, visit AllSaintsOKC.org or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at ASCCOKC look at acts 2 37 to 47 this is part six in our series on acts and it's going to be like colt's reading plan we're going to be lingering in the book of acts probably not a better book in the new testament for us to be in right now than the book of acts as we are like a ship that's turning entering the next phase of our journey And so if you are visiting us or you've been coming in recent weeks, we encourage you to come with us to connect with other people, to get involved, to use your gifts, to get involved in a group. In the the coming weeks, we're actually going to have some lunches together after church together because I think it's a key time for us to get to know one another, enjoy friendship. Here at All saints, we are a people of the book and a people of the spirit, aren't we? We're committed to both of those things. We want to be firmly rooted in the scriptures and in the historic tradition, the Christian tradition. This morning we're going to take communion together, the Lord's Supper, and we're going to recite the Apostles' Creed, which is a biblical summary of our faith, and we are just committed to those. Would you say that truth is needed more than ever now. Is that right? I mean, divine truth that never changes among crazy winds of doctrine blowing through the church and a crazy culture that doesn't know up from down. We root ourselves in the word of God and we give ourselves to it every day. We pray it, we believe it, we memorize it and with God's help we try to live it So we're a people of the book and a people of the Spirit. We want to be rooted and we want to be empowered. So at the end of each time together that we have here and in your group, hopefully you're making space for that as well, realizing that we're an empowered people. The Spirit of God is on us. We're part of the church. The same Spirit that was on Jesus is now a mantle that's on the church, including you and me. And so we're empowered to walk in the gifts and the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Even while he's cleaning us up in the process. So today we're going to look at the end of chapter 2 in the book of Acts. We're looking at God's kingdom mission for the church in the book of Acts. And it's giving us a snapshot this morning of the church in action. And today we're going to see two things really that are the fruits, the effects of the day of Pentecost. And one is many conversions. We're going to see people converting And giving themselves to Jesus and recognizing that he, in fact, is the Messiah. And confessing that publicly and being baptized in his name. And then we're going to see, along with conversions, we're going to see community. So immediately the church integrates these people into the family. And so it's a timely word for us. The fruits of Pentecost, as people of Pentecost, we want to see conversions And we want to see community established so that people are brought into the body of Christ from day one. Why don't we stand as we read these 10 verses? It's not 28 verses, so it's a little easier on your feet and knees. We will read the scriptures together just out of appreciation and reverence and awe. Wallace is asking, what do we say? I'm going to say... This is the word of God, and you can say, Thanks be to God, because we're thankful for Scripture. Thank you, Wallace. So, Acts 2 37 to 47. Now, when they heard this, this is the message that Peter had preached, the apostolic message of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that we looked at previously a couple weeks ago. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ so that your sins may be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you for your children and for all who are far away everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him and he testified with many other arguments and exhorted them Saying, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So, those who welcomed his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 persons were added. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number Those who are being saved. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. You can take a seat there. We're going to dig into this. And Father, as we do, each time we open your word, we rely on you. We ask for the illumination of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of wisdom and revelation to open our eyes, to open our hearts, to transform us. We love you. We say that you are awesome and your word is awesome. We pray in the name of Jesus, amen. So in the first section there, verses 37 through 40, we're going to see conversions, many of them. And this is the response, again, to the preceding verses. We saw the day of Pentecost and two, chap- uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And then we saw Peter gave the first apostolic message, the preaching of who Jesus is. And now we get to see the response of people And you see there at verse 37, how are they reacting? How are they responding? They are cut to the heart. This is a similar word here. That that cut to the heart is related to the same word in John 19 when Christ's side was pierced. Their hearts were pierced at the words that Peter was speaking. And again, we looked at it. This was an unlikely candidate to be giving a message like this, wasn't it? Just a matter of days before, weeks before, he had denied Christ. And Jesus restored him and anointed him with the Holy Spirit. So he becomes an example for all time of a broken saint, someone who's filled with the Holy Spirit in spite of his weakness, is raised up. And here he is, preaching the gospel with fire. And the people are overcome with the love and holiness of God. As he's speaking, his words under the anointing of the Holy Spirit were like a sword that struck people. And people asked, look at the verb there. They didn't say, what should we read or study? What gathering is there that we could go to and learn more about this gospel? What's the verb there? Brothers, what should we do? They're moved to action. So as the word of the Lord is coming out of Peter's mouth, rooted in Scripture, the people are moved deeply, saying, what do we do? Friends, this opportunity is there for us as well as the church. Peter is unique as one of the first apostles, but he's also a model to all of us to saturate ourselves, to root ourselves in Scripture because the word of God is like a sword. And as the church, we get to embody and speak and practice and live the word of God. But friends, we have a message. The eternal gospel that we're seeing the church proclaim here is in our mouths too. Wouldn't it be nice to have some anointing, some unction like that so that we're not feeling like we have to, oh my gosh, I gotta twist this person's arm so that they'll listen to me talk about Jesus, or I have to be so winsome. What if, friends, in the coming days, the anointing is on us, like the early church, and we get to go out and share the love, the holiness, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and it cuts people to the heart. Anybody else want that? I certainly do. I don't don't want to have to hand things out and be nice and kind of bribe people for a little bit of time to listen. I would love to have the heart of the Father and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And the Lord sends us out into places. We're seeing this to some extent with some of our groups, but I want more. Do you? I would love for our church to be moved to go out and to share the gospel and do it in a direct way like they're doing here, soaked in the love of God, the goodness of God, but the awesomeness, the awesome nature of God. What does Peter call them to do? He calls them to repent. Look at the first part of verse 38a. He says simply, repent. And Again, we embrace this word around here. Colt mentioned it in worship. It's a good word. It's a wonderful word that means to change direction from the path we're on. Peter is basically telling them, you're on the wrong path. It's time to change your direction. Get on a different path. You've been on a path of denying Jesus, of actually being complicit in his crucifixion at the hands of the Romans. Get right with God. Let the Lord change your mind, change your heart, and put you on the path toward him. He goes on to explain here that along with repentance they're to be baptized. But friends, repentance is a gift as well. Second 2 Timothy 2.25 talks about this. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.25, he's urging Timothy and the church there to pray that God may grant others that they could repent. And so what Peter is saying here is receive the gift of repentance. God is good. God is gracious. If you will open your heart, he will give you the gift of faith and the gift of repentance. So it's both together. It's a human response, but it's undergirded by the grace, the kindness, the mercy of God. Repentance and faith, in some extent, are two sides of the same coin. Look at what he goes on to say in the rest of verse 38. Along with repentance, there's a second thing he calls them to do. Look there. Be baptized. And the key here is not necessarily the rite of baptism, the ritual of baptism, but their response to God. 1 Peter three twenty-one makes this clear. That when you turn to Christ in faith, You're making an appeal to God for a clean conscience, not the removal of dirt from baptismal waters. So Peter is saying here, believe in Jesus. Confess him publicly. Be baptized in his name, in his authority. The very one that I've been telling you about, Peter says, who is exalted to the right hand of the Father. Who's pouring out the spirit here that you've been witnessing. Confess his name. And this is frankly what we do at baptism now. Got some people lined up to be baptized in the coming weeks. And as much as anything, what baptism is, symbolizing you enter those waters, the old you is dying with Christ and you're being raised anew and you're making a public confession Jesus Christ is Lord. He is my Lord. And friends, those were dangerous words, dangerous actions in the first century. They were declared, it was a political statement for them. They were basically saying, Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. No Roman emperor is my Lord. Jesus is. Serious words here that he's laying out here. Confess his name. Give allegiance to him. And then he goes on in the rest of verse 38, telling them that they'll receive two gifts. The forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. These words are beautiful. The word for forgiveness of sins here is a commercial term. It's basically have your debts forgiven. Turn to Christ. Confess him as Lord. Give yourself to him in baptism, and he'll forgive your debts. Anybody in here have a list of debts? Maybe at this moment, maybe when you came to Christ, I had a growing list of debts. And through faith in Jesus, through the grace of God, Through clinging to him in faith, the Lord said, I'm going to wipe all of those debts out. And if you'll turn to me throughout your life, I'll continue to do away with those debts. Friends, this is the greatest news in the world, the gospel of Jesus. Perhaps that strikes a chord with you this morning. Maybe you've got some debt, some guilt that you're carrying. The Lord can deal with it in an instant if you turn to him. Maybe someone's even watching online. You need to turn to the Lord. Repent. Confess his name. Be baptized. Find a local church. Be baptized here. Have your debts forgiven and removed. The forgiveness of sins really was the thrust of Jesus' ministry, wasn't it? We've seen that the book of Acts and the book of Luke were one scroll. And in Luke chapter 3... It summarized what Jesus was doing early on in his life and his ministry. And it says this, Luke 3.3, he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. It's the good news of the kingdom that Jesus proclaimed and it's the good news of the kingdom that you and I as his people, the church, Get to proclaim. Look at the end of verse 38 here, the second gift, along with forgiveness of sins. Repentance and faith prepare the way for the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to come and unify and empower these people for mission. One commentator says, the gift of the Holy Spirit is an assured salvation, an indwelling presence, an equipping for service, and a developing Christ-likeness, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Friends, is there another gift like that? Think about this for a moment. We should be the most grateful, delighted people on the planet. Forgiveness and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it's not just a one-time thing. I don't know about you, but I need regular, daily, hourly forgiveness. Anyone else? Turning to the Lord in repentance. Lord, I'm sorry I said that. I'm sorry I did that. I receive your kindness, your love, your mercy, forgiveness given immediately. So it's unto salvation, and then it's unto walking it out in holiness each day. Look at what he says. The Apostle Peter here in verse 39 says that this gift is for you, for your children, For all who are far away and everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. Peter's already made this clear at verse 17, hasn't he? He quotes Joel chapter 2 and says the Holy Spirit is being poured out right now on all flesh. People from all over the known world. Jews that have been dispersed all over the world are gathered in Pentecost. And he was saying the Spirit of God is being poured out here universally in in a way we've never seen in the history of salvation and he's reiterating that same point here. The gift of the Holy Spirit through the blood of Christ, through the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus is for all of you. Friends, some of you have experienced this. Forgiveness, repentance, the gift of the Holy Spirit hits one person in the family and the whole family is rearranged. I often hear of this in Muslim countries, where one person in that family would come to faith. And before it was over, there was great resistance. But before it was over, many in that family come to faith in Christ. Anyone else want to see some whole families and whole households receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? I certainly do in the coming days. This passage was stretching and expanding and reminding me of what God wants to do in us in our local church, what he wants to do in the coming days. Look at verse 40 here. He's kind of giving a summary of what he's explaining here, their response. And he's saying, save yourself from this generation. He's using some language because his mind is steeped in Scripture. We've seen that over and over again, haven't we, that like a, a good Jewish Student, his mind is filled with a Bible. This is another one of those moments where he's calling out to them and he's saying, Cry out to the Lord and be saved. And he's got Deuteronomy 32 5 in his mind, saying, Be saved from this rebellious generation. And he's reminding them of that generation that was part of the desert wanderings when the people were obstinate and rebellious to the voice of the Lord. And he's saying, This. Is another generation like that? People are rebellious. Friends, I don't need to tell you this morning that we live in a moment of deep corruption and desperate need for salvation in Jesus. Isaiah 5 speaks further about this. Verse 20 and 21 says, You who call evil good and good evil who put darkness for light and light for darkness. You who are wise in your own eyes. Friends, this is the cultural moment we're living in. And sometimes, frankly, I get a mixed response. Mostly I get positive response when I speak candidly like this. But I want you to just let me express a few things prophetically for a few moments. May I? Is that right? And some people even say, man, we just get inundated with negative news and these things. and But friends, this is the apostolic pattern. If you've got a problem, you've got a problem with Peter. Peter is giving the greatest news of grace and love and mercy and kindness and having all of your debts forgiven in a moment through faith, through baptism. But what's he do here? He says, you better do this. You better realize the moment that you're in the generation because it's corrupt. It's twisted. When you look at it in line with the plumb line of who God is in his word, man, this generation is out of whack. And friends, that's exactly where we are. So I'm I'm really just kind of giving a little bit of dark backdrop to this moment in 2022. And I just... I, I want you to hear me in this because I th- I I'm growing as someone who wants to follow the word of God and do it tenaciously at all costs. And I invite you to do the same thing. Let's not skirt around moments like this. The gospel comes. We're fixated on the beauty, the kindness, the greatness, the majesty of Jesus. At the same time, we tell people, look around you, be saved from this generation. Our country, I've, I've mentioned this. I awakened to it later in life, but we've reveled in abortion. Over 62 million abortions since 73. Those stats are falling a little bit. But friends, infanticide is no small thing. Some of you say, we well, are talking about that again. Friends, we should regu- regularly remember things like that. Friends, we are in a broken generation. Who needs Jesus. Our schools, I'm, I'm shocked by some of the things that I follow in the news, the sexualization of kids. I'm like, are you serious? What lunacy has come over our leaders that we would embrace this, that we would tolerate it, that we would celebrate it? And I think we're seeing for the first time in my life, parents go to school boards and say, enough. We don't want this in our libraries. We don't want, you know, second graders hearing about detailed sexual education. Friends, these are just little windows. These are just little indicators of our culture, and we're part of it. And so the Lord's been talking to me about not pointing to them or they, but to identify with it. That's biblical repentance. says, Lord, we have sinned against you. Lord, our generation, I am part of this, a turning away from you, and now, like Second Chronicles 7.14 says, we turn to you in repentance. I repent on behalf of the blood that's been shed in our country. I repent for what we're doing to our children. If we're not killing them, we're indoctrinating them with twisted, bizarre sexual confusion. Are you with me? So... Our country, our schools, and I'm just giving, again, I'm not focused on that. But this is part of the pattern that we see in this passage right here. The most wonderful, bright light of the glorious gospel that's shining and we're inviting people into it. I invite you to it again this morning to rediscover it. But the backdrop is serious. Haven't even touched on the churches. The Laodicean spirit in our churches is nauseating. It nauseates Jesus. He looks at his church, says, I have so much for you. I've done so much for you. You're my bride, and yet you're bored. Do you know who you're dealing with? Do you know who you are planning to meet? Do you realize the responsibility that I've given you, the authority, the power to go and represent me, to bear my image? And yet much of the church is edutaining doing a little bit of education and a lot of entertainment. I think the Lord's had enough. I had an encounter last night. I was having one of those sleepless nights that happens in your 50s sometimes, and I was having some not-so-good moments about ruminating on things, and then I began to think about this passage and turn to the Lord in repentance and reflect on where I am, where our church is, where our culture is. And I began to experience the sweetness of God's presence. Amidst the awe and the fear of the Lord, friends, it all goes together. The Lord is kind, He's good, He's loving, but He's awesome, and we should tremble before Him. So, saving yourself does not mean you kind of pick yourself up by the bootstraps and I'm saving myself. That would go against the grain. Of what Peter's teaching here, right? Save yourself means grab the rescue boat that's pulled up to you. Grab the edge of it and let Him pull you in. That's what it means to save yourself. That's what the Lord does, right? I mean, we're a mess. You've gone overboard. Maybe your ship was sinking. You're about to go under and be shark food, shark meat. Maybe they're already nibbling on you a little bit. So save yourself from this generation means reach your arm out, grab the edge of the boat, and let him pull you in. And friends, we've got people all around us, neighbors, maybe even some folks here, you need to get saved. You need to save yourself. What does that mean? Reach your arm out to Jesus. Let him save you. Let him pull you in the life raft before it's too late. Amen? So we see their response in these verses here. Verses 41 through 47. The apostle Peter is giving us a window into community. And Luke is writing this. Look at verse 41. Based on Peter's message. Man, I don't know about you, but this message is enthralling. We can read these things oftentimes and go, oh, here's another little sermon. Friends, let's rediscover this. It is rich, the gift of the Holy Spirit, repentance, baptism, this message that we're entrusted with. And look at verse 41. Look what happens. 3,000 people are added to this embryonic community, this new church. It's multiplied by 26 times in one day. And friends, it happens through bringing the word. It happens through preaching. It happens through calling people to repentance, to believe the gospel. Now some modern scholars, since apparently they know best and they can time travel back to this moment, and they know better than Luke the historian, seem to raise questions about this. Well, do you think that Luke is perhaps exaggerating here, I don't know, church. What do you think? Lots of exaggeration in the Bible, right? Where does that lead us? It's ridiculous. If it says 3,000, my Bible says what? 3,000. What's your Bible say? 3,000. So I don't think it's hyperbole. It's not exaggeration. It means 3,000 people came into the church. They went from 120 to 3120 based on this broken disciples' words because he was filled with a fire of the gospel, the fire of the Holy Spirit. And there's a population of about 75,000 in Jerusalem at the time. Archaeologists are able to figure those things out. and there's Between 55 and probably 150,000 people from all over the world visiting Jerusalem for the festival of Pentecost. And so 3,000 is stunning, isn't it? But it's feasible. It is feasible. The Holy Spirit's a missionary spirit. We've got to be reminded of that. The Spirit of God is poured out on the church, this young church, this young community, and immediately compels them to be part of God's rescue plan. They're already doing the greater works here. They're beginning to do what Jesus says in John 14, 12. He's turning to his disciples and he says, you know what? I've done amazing signs and wonders that the Father has entrusted for me to do. But you are actually going to do greater works. Can you imagine hearing that? The disciples who are bickering about who's going to sit closer to Jesus, who's going to have the bigger seat in the age to come, the kingdom to come. And Jesus is saying, you're going to do greater works I think it means many things, as we'll see even next week as we look in chapter 3. But they were doing greater works, even in evangelism, than Christ did at moments. Evangelism and miracles. Now, I don't know about you, but I read passages like this, and sometimes my mind kicks in. It's not exaggeration. It's literally 3,000 people. Anyone else think, where do they baptize all these folks? Well, once again, archaeologists, Jewish and Christian archaeologists working in Jerusalem have uncovered at least 150 pools all through the city of Jerusalem, and Craig Keener talks about this in his commentary on Acts, but that's 150 known pools that could have been used, so if you think about it, logistically, you've got 120 disciples, you've got Twelve apostles, they could have easily supervised mass baptisms. They did. We don't know exactly what it looked like, but it happened. We hear about some of those pools, like the pool at Bethesda, where Jesus performs a healing. So somehow they did it. And I hope to God that we could experience something overwhelming like that someday. That It would be all hands on deck in baptism. If you remember right before COVID, I showed a video at Corona Del Mar and they would have regular baptisms at Pirate's Cove there where the Jesus people, all those hippies were turning to Jesus and hundreds upon hundreds into the thousands were gathering and being baptized and sometimes there may not be enough ministers there and so others were appointed to baptize. That's in the spirit of what's happening here. I've shared this with some of you, but when we first moved back and we were part of our Lord's early on, I had the word of the Lord come to me and he said, the day is coming when you will wear out your baptismal. And I'm holding on to that and I'm speaking it out. How would we like to wear out the baptismal and then how would you like to use your hot tub or your pool or find a place to baptize people because Frankly, we're overwhelmed. I've seen glimpses of this. Saw it in the late 80s and early 90s. We had some little mini revivals break out. And we literally had to find, these people would say, I want to get baptized tomorrow. And we would say, where do you live? Well, I live in this apartment complex. You got a pool? Yeah. What's the temperature at? About 68. (laughs) You ready to get in that pool? We'll do it tomorrow. Sure enough, we'd go baptize someone. Well, now my boyfriend wants to get baptized. We can baptize him too. Now my daughter wants to get baptized. We'll baptize her too. So I've seen glimpses of this, but friends, I'm holding out for something even more glorious. Mass conversions, mass baptisms. Lord, bring it. And friends, this is just the beginning. This is just the beginning. Things don't trail off after this. The Lord Jesus says in Matthew 24, 14, this gospel is going to all the nations before the end comes. I was reading accounts in the spirit of this, 3,000 coming to the Lord, and I was revisiting the Welsh Revival. I just wanted to share a couple of things because we should expect the Lord to save many. And yes, we're diligent and faithful. We share the gospel. We do the faithful work, the day-to-day work. We're committed to it. We offer Alpha and we talk about Jesus to friends and neighbors and coworkers. But friends, would you like to see thousands come to Christ? Certainly uh, a prayer to ask. In the Welsh Revival of 1904 and 05, they had 20,000 people come to Christ in five weeks. They prayed, they fasted, and the Lord moved mightily. It was a sovereign move of God. Over the next year at the Welsh Revival, 100,000 came into the kingdom. Friends, may the Lord save us from just doing church. I would love to see the Lord move mightily. Would you save some friends, some relatives that maybe you've given up on, or you think are far away, Peter says the gift of the Holy Spirit is for them. Those who are far away. One other account that was staggering in the year 2000 in Nigeria, the German evangelist Reinhard Bonnke was part of a gathering where one million people profess faith publicly in Christ. Friends, the book of Acts is just the beginning And we could ask, well, how many of those were followed up with and ended up in a local church? I'm not sure, but I don't think it's a bad thing for one million people to come out of idolatry and say, I want Jesus. Let's cut that in half. Maybe it was 500,000. Nonetheless, Lord, give us some of those moments. Just want to touch on this real quickly before we actually practice it at verse Forty-two, Along with 3,000 being added to the church, we catch a glimpse here of community life in the early church, and there's four elements, right? This should be tattooed on our minds, tattooed on our memories. What are those four things? Look in the text, Acts 2.42. Let's say Acts 2.42. Acts 2.42. That should be one that we commit to memory. What is it that they're committing themselves to, they're devoting themselves to? The apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers or prayer. They were a biblical, relational, worshipful, prayerful people, and that lays a pattern for us. We've talked about this before. I would encourage you to Meditate on this and look at it and say, Lord, could we be a people like this at All Saints? Giving ourselves, being devoted to these four things. The apostles' teaching, fellowship, koinonia, the breaking of bread. One thing worth commenting on, the breaking of bread meant, yes, the Lord's Supper and communion, but it was in the context of a more general meal. And they did it all the time. They were eating meals in one another's homes. And in the context of a meal, they would give thanks and break the bread and drink the wine together. Do what's called the Eucharist, the giving of thanks. Different names for that in different streams in the church. The Lord's Supper, communion, the Eucharist. Why don't we practice that together? And as we do that this morning, we're going to Take communion together, so if the servers will come up, the elders will come up, we'll have four places, lots more that we could say at the end of Acts 2 about the awe and the signs and wonders, and, but we'll wait for next week. We're going to look at Acts chapter 3, a healing story, a lame man being healed by the name of Jesus through the apostle Peter and John.